Wisdom Podcast. This is your host, Justin Dora. And this week, we're going to be continuing our topic of law versus grace. And just as a quick reminder, this is our, actually our fourth part. This is our fourth week to hit the topic. And the first week, we talked about just the general overview and how the real difference between law living and grace living is uh, the location. That all those standards under law living are outside of us, pointing and accusing. In grace, Jesus moved that within us by his spirit because he gave us the gift of himself and changed our nature from the inside out. And now we're able to do those things not by the sweat of our own brow, but by the grace of God, by his power given to us. Second week, we talked about being dead to sin and alive to God. It's good news. Last time we talked about Romans 7 and how a lot of people use this as a rebuttal because of what Paul says of the very thing he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing. We talked about how when taken out of context, it will mess you up. And you have to look at that verse within the context of the chapter and that chapter within the context of the book of Romans and the book of Romans within the context of the scripture in its entirety. It's called rightly dividing the word of God. So this week, I want to hit a few more scriptures, and again, we're going to stay on the rhythm that we've been on, so we might finish this week, we might not, we might go into a part five, just depends on how long-winded I am as we look at these verses, although I will say, the verses that I have selected for today are much shorter, they're like a verse or two, but you never know, I might get going <laughs> on one or two verses. Okay, so let's start with 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 56. And again, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help layer this simple message of the gospel. That Jesus really did defeat sin. That he really has made us new. It's not a process of becoming new. It's a process of realizing how new he made us. That's the process. You're just discovering that the, that the wonderland never ends and it's, it's good news, and it's a good time. Um, so, 1 Corinthians 15, 56 makes a startling statement. It says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. <laughs> now, that, that alone should make us question a lot of things. Because when you realize that the very tool that people are using to get people to not sin is actually what drives them to sin, we should realize it's craziness to think that we're still supposed to live by the law. Now again, when I say law, I'm not talking about the content of what the law says. The content is fine. The content is actually describing the character and nature of God. He doesn't want to murder people. That's why he says don't murder. He doesn't want to lie to you. That's why he says don't give false testimony. Do not lie. He doesn't want, he doesn't covet. That's why he says don't covet your neighbor's stuff. He honors. That's why he says honor. You see that? The law is merely an expression of the nature and character of God. So, so think, just think about this. If God says don't murder, because that's, that's the way he thinks, that's the way he is, he doesn't want to get really angry and murderous with people 
to get them to live holy. In fact, if you want to see a picture of what law living does, read Acts 9. When Paul was living under the law as a Pharisee, according to Philippians 3, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. As far as legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. He says, or it says in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 9 of Paul, that he was breathing out murderous threats. That's what the law will do. It makes you want to kill people who don't obey God. (laughs) And I don't mean it makes us want to like go out and literally kill people. But somehow we think catastrophe and calamity coming into someone's life justifies our perspective of a God who's holy. Because he's just, when bad things happen, that's God's justice. Not necessarily. That could just be our stupidity. That's like jumping off a roof, breaking your leg, and saying it was the justice of God that you broke your leg. No, no. That's called gravity. You knew before you got up there that it won't work out well for you. And you did it anyway. That's not God getting revenge and justice. That's you pouring out stupidity upon yourself. That's like sticking your hand in a meat grinder and wondering why you got cut. That's just dumb. The wages of sin is death. You do something dumb, something dumb's going to happen. Like we, <laughs> It's not rocket science. It's not God pouring out judgment. It's you violating your own conscience and realizing it's not going to work and then it doesn't and you get the picture. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin. What empowers sin in your life, what gives power to it is the law. Guys, it's craziness to think that by your own effort, you can live a holy life. In fact, the book of Isaiah states that self-righteousness is like filthy rags. It goes a little bit stronger than that. But for the sake of this podcast, I won't describe that. (laughs) But you probably already know what I'm talking about. Your own righteousness is as a filthy rags. I just remembered something. I believe last week I referenced a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're talking about reading things in context. And when you strip things out of context, you could get weird in a hurry. And how just because the Bible says it doesn't necessarily mean that you should lock, stock, and barrel. Take that on board. Because sometimes the Bible's writing things to prove a point, not to say this is the truth. So, and I've heard another um, teacher say this. He talks about the book of Ecclesiastes was never written to be true, but it was written to show what happens when the wisest man in the world, being Solomon, what happens to his wisdom when he departs relationship with God. It, It all becomes vain. In fact, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verse 19, it says this, A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. So, <laughs> you know, that's in the Bible. So I guess we could just take that, strip it out of context, and start making that, you know, our mission statement for all of thing, all things godly, that money's the answer for everything. I'll let you do with that what you want. Okay, let's go to another passage. Book of Hebrews, 
chapter 9, verse 13. I believe, book of Hebrews, chapter, actually it's chapter 8, verse 13. Prior to this, Paul, or, or the writer of Hebrews, many think it was Paul, but we can't be sure. <clears throat> he actually quotes the book of Jeremiah that we looked at that first week. Uh, chapter 31, verse 31 through 34, in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, he says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of these to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. Now that should encourage us, because if God doesn't remember your sins, why are you? It doesn't make you more holy to be conscious of sin. It actually will cause you and drive you to be more sinful, (laughs) to actually sin more. And it will cause you to think about yourself too much, And it will cause you to wrongly view God and view yourself as separate because you think holiness somehow means that God can't be around sin. Yet, if you read the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God's the one that found them. They didn't run to God. They ran from God or God ran to them. And then he covered them. That should mess with us. We see it in the life of Jesus, who was God. Who fully, if Jesus actually said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, Jesus perfectly reveal what God was like, and he actually hung out with sinners all the time. He loved being with them. They loved being with him. Sinners actually started walking in holiness because God's holiness in Jesus, who is God, (laughs) actually got on them. They stopped having an appetite for sin, and they started wanting to walk with God. That's why you see in the book of Luke, the woman um, who was a prostitute, she weeps and wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair. And Jesus says, when you've been forgiven much, you love much. She realized the depth of her forgiveness because of Jesus and therefore love was the response. That's, that's powerful. That's the reality of what happens when we see God for who he really is. It, it, it creates a, a spontaneous, sustainable response because it's governed by this grace and spirit of God. And it's good news. So verse 13 of this chapter says this, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. For those that say we're supposed to live in both covenants, they say we live in the new covenant. We don't live in the old covenant, but the principles that are established in the old covenant are for today. We miss the boat here a little bit. It doesn't mean God has changed from the new covenant to the old covenant. But what it does mean is we've changed. We've gone from fallen creation to new creation. And clearly throughout the scriptures in the New Testament, it states that the old is gone and the new has come. It states that we're dead to sin and alive to God. It states that the old sin nature has been circumcised away. It states that... Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its desires and its lusts. It says it over and over and over and over again because we need to hear it so that we can come into trust and rest. That's why Romans 10 says, 
Um, how will they know unless a preacher comes? It says how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. It goes on to say that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ, not the word of God reading the Bible, but the word of Christ reading the scriptures through the ultimate interpretation, which is Jesus, that the scriptures are there to reveal Jesus. He is the word of God. We read even the Old Testament through the lens of Christ, and we see foreshadowing to what Jesus would accomplish on the cross. The New Testament, after the Gospels, unpacks what Jesus accomplished through his life, burial, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. This is good news. And so, it says, he has made the first one obsolete. Do you know what obsolete means? It means you don't use it anymore. It means it's not necessary. It means something has come to supersede it. I like thinking of it this way. This is a new little example that I felt like the Holy Spirit brought to mind. For those of you that are older, you might quite well remember in elementary school going to the computer lab with those amazing brown Apple computers with little green screens. And there was this huge drive called a disk drive. And you'd put a three and a half inch floppy. It was literally three and a half inches. <laughs> uh, a square, three and a half inches on each side. And you'd put it in there and you could upload a program. You could save your work. It was massive. And thankfully, technology has advanced to where these days you can save your work when you work on a computer on something called the cloud. I don't even know what the cloud is. I just know it works. And it's amazing. You look at your iPhone and it tells you, by the way, I updated this app without even asking you. I did it on your behalf. And there's this storage somehow in the interwebs. I don't even, I'm sure all the tech gurus right now are, roll, are rolling around thinking I'm just, you know, bludgeoning the cloud technology. Sorry about that tech gurus, but somehow in this cloud technology, you can store information. Now, <laughs> let's think this through. I would say that the cloud technology has made three and a half inch floppies obsolete. There's actually other technology that made that obsolete, but technically, if you had the old Apple computers, if you had the the three and a half inch floppies, you could plug it in to an electric plug and you could still use it. It wouldn't work very well. It wouldn't do that much for you, but it would work. But when you look at the cloud technology, you would say, who in their right mind would ever go backwards to a three and a half inch floppy when we have this magic data cloud that stores way more way faster, and a lot of times without even thinking about it. Guys, that's a small example of the difference between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. I love um, what's written in 2 Corinthians 3, where it talks about the old, it talks about the ministry that brings death <laughs> came with glory. But compared to the ministry that brings righteousness, it's like it has no glory at all. I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11. You could read it yourself. 
That's the reality. The old covenant, the ministry written on stone, letters written on stone, it comes with glory. It, it, it can work. It's like the three and a half inch floppy. It can do a little bit. But compared to the new covenant, the ministry that brings righteousness, the cloud technology, no one's going to look at the three and a half inch floppy and say, man, that's a better way. I'm going to do it that way. Yes, you can save a few documents. Yes, you can upload a program like the Oregon Trail for those of you that remember that. But compared to the new thing, it's obsolete. It's not needed. It's the same with the new covenant. We don't need the old covenant anymore. Not because God doesn't care about holiness anymore. Not because... There's not, the, there's not a, a better way to live than, than the world offers, but because the grace of God is like the cloud. It's like you start getting upgrades and you don't even know. You hear the voice of God. You experience His presence. You start thinking new thoughts. And I'm not saying there's not intentionality. There's not, we read the scriptures. There's not something to prayer. But it's not like the old thing where we bolt everything on the outside to try to make the inside clean. It's a new thing that's on the inside and it's making us holy because it's the person of Jesus who's teaching us what holiness is. In fact, that's why I mentioned this in one of our first episodes. We don't need the law to balance out grace. And I actually have a scripture for you. It's in Titus 2 verse 11. It says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 12. It, that being the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, that be a fruit of the Spirit, upright and godly lives in this present age. Why doesn't grace need to be balanced by the law? Because grace is fully holy all by itself. Grace is now what teaches us to say no to ungodly things and to worldly passions. The law is not needed anymore because grace has superseded the law. Grace took what the law could never do and did it for us in Christ. And now all the process we're in is growing up into the full stature of Jesus. And he's doing it. By grace, he's giving us the inward desire, he's giving us the will to do it, and he's giving us the strength to actually make it for the long haul. So it doesn't mean there's not process, it doesn't mean there's not practical things, it doesn't mean all that, but all of that flows out of Jesus in us. It doesn't create the price tag to qualify before him. And I hope that makes sense. Grace doesn't now mean there's no practical issues of life. It doesn't now mean there's not things to continue to learn. It doesn't now mean there may not be places in our lives that need to grow up and mature because either they're immature and they're underdeveloped or there's issues of sin going on. But what it means is now it's, it's, it's realizing or getting a, 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 the next revelation of the fullness of what Jesus accomplished. And when that thing breaks open, it comes included with it power, ideas, strategies, practical outworkings. The, the, the self-discipline is a part of the package. It's just not the price tag for admission. And that's the big deal. Jesus paid your price tag for admission. He continually gives you desire 
to live this life out that comes with practical implications. And can we ignore all that and stay in a place of unbelief? Sure we can. But it's when we hear over and over and over again what Jesus accomplished, who we now are in light of that, reworking our perspective and our thoughts on who he is and what he's done, that now that motivation just surges again and we find ourselves in a place of it's God's grace that we're self-motivated people, not out of self, but out of Christ in us, who who has reacquainted us with our true self, the image of God. And it's good news. Okay, well actually, we got through all my notes for today. That's awesome. So next week we'll actually start a new topic. Don't know what it's going to be yet, but it'll be good. And this concludes our series on law versus grace. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom Podcast. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes so iTunes will recommend this podcast to others. Thanks, everyone, and take care. Mm